If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. Part of the reason why I said stuff it, I'm going to the States is the survival rate for five years with somebody in my situation, palliative stage four, is 4%. It's the point of getting another year out of it if you're getting chemo all the time and feeling lousy. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Derek Walker a little bit later from uh, across a couple ponds or the big pond or I don't know. He's in New Zealand anyway, a cancer survivor. Of course, he's been to Canada, been to Calgary. I think he's actually met Graham once or twice. Oh, uh, we were buddies. And they were buddies. And uh, it's a good chat, fun chat. It's a little covety at the beginning, but it wears off quick, and uh, we can move on to some funner, funner discussions. And, of course, we got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham. We were buddies, Dunlop. How's it going? It's all right. It was a good chat with Dirk. I, yeah, I good think ca- honestly his message was fantastic towards the end there about just surviving cancer and being your finding your path and you know being you. I, I think. hope he comes back one day. Yeah, uh, I think it was a great chat. The Canada, I mean. Yeah. Or maybe yeah, we go well, to New Zealand one if day. If we can travel, you know, one day. We should get a plane. We need a plane or one of those we should do a Kickstarter for a cruise ship. Buy one of these. I think we could get a cruise ship cheap. Just, just, that's a good idea. That's the way to do it. Just go, just go around the waters instead of flying. We'll load a bunch of guns on it. So that we've got, well, there's pirates and shit out there. I mean, we're going to be just living in international waters. Yeah. That's what somebody was saying. The risk of those, uh, those new, what are those new, those new, uh, communities like water communities? Yeah. Like everybody living on this big flotation or whatever. The risk is the pirates, right? Yeah. Like you You want some guns and stuff for sure. But I mean, that's okay. We could get some guns. We'll stop in the States, load up on guns, head back up. We could get Hawaii, Alaska, pop into one of those places. On I just don't think that should be the focus, really. The SS Grammar. Well, it's not the focus. I mean, on the top deck, we'll have a bunch of dirt. We'll stop someplace, someplace like maybe Hawaii, someplace with a lot of good volcanic soil. And we'll just get a shitload of dirt dumped on the boat on the top deck. We can grow stuff. Have you looked into this at all, or is no, this just, just, just making up right now? Making this up as I go. I don't think it's a good idea to put dirt on the top. Maybe, maybe in the bottom, because it's just gonna. There's not gonna be any crap's gonna bottom. get go all over the place. Crap, bugs and dirt bugs. and <laughs> mud. It's a cruise ship. We'll fill the pool up with. Like, a, like, are you talking about a big cruise ship? Like, how big yeah, would like it be? The, like full size. Jeez, those got to cost a lot to operate. Oh, and yeah. you need a crew, too. I mean, we'd have to do everything No, ourselves. we'd be the crew, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's feeling like that would be better than what's going on right now. I don't know. Let's not get into it. We're not. We're going to stay away from the Rona today. Do we have any captains, any boat captains out there that can let us know if this is feasible? How many on a crew? My cousin See, Jeff used to do that. He used to be a listener of the show, too. I think he's man overboard. Yeah, he's been man overboard for a while. And uh, he was laying cable out there in the middle of the ocean. 239 bucks. Free delivery. 
That's got to be something. To, oh, that's a picture of a cruise ship. Here we go. Cruise ships for sale. Cruise, cruise ship homestead.com. Cruise ship homestead. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, just, we could be fishing. Okay. We got some cruise ships here. We got uh, sold. What's a PAX? 280 packs. Price, 5.5 million. Wow. Is that passengers? Yeah. So that's 130 packs. Probably passengers, yeah. 5.5 million. <gasps> Look at this one. Ah, 55 meter ice class cruise ship. Ex Norwegian mail ship. Caspian Sea, 450 pounds. Look. We could get, oh, you probably don't want to take a river cruise ship on the ocean, though. That's pounds like uh, sterling, like pounds sterling, English pounds? Yeah, so that's probably under a million dollars. We could get this cruise ship for under a million dollars. How many people? 55. Oh, 55. What's a million divided by 55? 20,000. There you go. Fuck, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> Look at this thing. Oh, it looks fabulous. I mean, it's, we're going to have to like keep podcasting. Check it out. Wow, that's fantastic. Look at it. It's got the dining hall and everything oh, yeah. down there. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, Don't get me all excited now. I used to want to live on a boat when I was young. Well, maybe we should bring back that dream. We got a 350-passenger, 92-meter long. This thing's like almost a tenth of a kilometer long. Guess how much? 350-passenger. Uh, 1.5 million. 3.5 million pounds. Oof, that's a lot, yeah. 280 passengers lost. Oh, never mind. It was lost in the explosion. The Beru explosion. It was in Beru. Beirut. Beirut. Okay. Let's move on. Let's I think move on. we I think we just go with the uh the 55 per you don't want you don't want to jam. You want to go like you want to at least have for every two passengers that can hold, you only want one. You need lots of room on there. Can't be jammed in these little cabins. Okay, so here, this one's 2,400 passengers, 150 million. That's a little bit steep, I feel like. I don't think we need 1,500 passengers. I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to be seaworthy. 50 million, 1,400 passengers. It stands 778 feet out of the water. <laughs> that's going to be tough on gas, though. I know, that's the problem. But that little 55 passenger ones. Oh, so there's only there's only 716 cabins on this thing. Guess how many crew? 647. But that would include waiters and cooks and everything. So we're gonna, just going to cook for ourselves or we'll have a cook. Yeah, but you need a minimum amount of people to run the boat. Those, that's a lot of work. Grimera Cruise. Grimera Cruise. <laughs> so... Maybe we should buy the Norwegian old old Norwegian mail ship. Yeah, just has to be seaworthy, just enough, just so we can get a get away from all this crap. Probably, like just sail to New Zealand, see Dirk, and then go to Australia. Well, no, we don't want. Maybe we don't. I don't even think we want to go. That those might be risky areas to go to. We'll want to stay the guns. in the. Want to stay in like the. We'll stay the tropical offshore. areas. We'll make, we'll make Dirk head out to us in <laughs> <Yeah>. international waters. <laughs> <laughs> We can only make it to 20, 20 k from the from the far? shore. I think it's nine k or something. It might be. Huh. I don't know what it is. That's so it. It's too far to swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, I can swim pretty far. No. I, I used to be. I used to be called the egg beater. 
Come on, bro. You down. Did you remember telling me, tell me that? You like a mile out. <laughs> I used to be the egg beater, man. I, yeah. I could tread water like halfway out of the you water. You used to be a lot of things, Dunlop. <laughs> Graham used to be Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> now you'll be like fucking two, three quarters of a mile offshore. Oh, yeah. Fucking cramps. I got cramps. <laughs> My calf is cramping. So, because if we go into New Zealand, they're going to take the guns. How far offshore for international waters? 12 nautical miles. Which yeah, is so, 22 kilometers. Yeah, so it's pretty close, yeah. yeah. 14 miles. Hmm. Huh. That's a long ways. That is a ways. Anyways, uh, we can dream. Yeah, I mean, as long as you got, you know, can we keep podcasting and have internet and uh, we could videotape the whole thing? Well, I don't want to videotape it, but we could like audio tape the whole thing. It's good for ice. We could go to Antarctica. It's an icebreaker? It doesn't say icebreaker. Breaker. It says ice That rated. would be the thing to do. Go to Antarctica. See what's going on down Freeze there. Freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. We could go look for the entrance. I mean, we're talking about a million bucks. You now you got me all. Now you got me all. We need a captain to let us know if it's feasible that can run the boat because we don't know. Maybe Jeff, if you're listening, out there listening. If you're sick of laying pipe through the Atlantic for the New World it. Order, and you want to run, and you want to be captain of the Grand Air cruise ship, <laughs> <laughs> give us a call. Give us a jingle. <laughs> Get in touch with your long lost cousin. <laughs> Let's figure out if this thing's feasible. I mean. I guess we need some place to park it too. If we're not just if we're not ready to leave right away, we need some place to park it. If we're, oh, you'd have to, to take you'd have to fix a, it up. You'd have to reno it. You'd have to go you for know, a couple rips, break down some walls to increase the size of the cabins. And yeah, I want to double I'm just room. And then we need, <clears throat> yeah, and we need to we you know I figure we're only a couple of years away from having internet everywhere. Yeah. Wow. We could use the the five G net to our advantage. I don't think we'll be five. That's too far away for five G, man. That's tight. Five G's tight. What about the satellites? We'll just have four G at sea. See, the problem is it'd be really easy just for them to blow us out of the water. I mean, if they really don't want people doing that, especially if it's a crew of unvaccinated, unvaccinated people that are leaving the technocratic society. They, they just, just fucking, it. they just direct just a, energy weapon boom, right out of the, right out of the a, ocean, a sub, right from the satellite up there. Boom. Or a sub comes up in the night and just, <laughs> <laughs> you die a watery death. I don't know if I could do a boat, man. I'd have to try it out. So far, all of my boat experiences have ended in seasickness. Really? Wow. That'll be. Never been on a big boat though. Only been on smaller boats. They can get pretty rough. I mean, I'm good on the. Lakes go all day on the lakes, but those oceans are different fucking animal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's move on from the dreaming. Got some. Oh, I got a great email. Synchronicity, a great synchronicity to share with you from a listener. Want to do that one first? Ah, uh, sure. I will. Play a jingle. So Miguel doesn't have the files. Let's go into the synchronicity. Bum, bum, ba, ba, do you. 
I wonder how I'm trying long to increase the size of this thing. I wonder how long this. he spent on those. I'm just looking for which synchronicity jingle I'm going to play here. It's a bit of a long email, but it's uh, it's a great one. Looking forward to sharing it with you. We have an invitation here to go on this podcast too, so we should do it. Are we going on there? When? I don't know. They're in the UK, so it should be fun. I'm not getting up in the middle of the night, though. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. So, hey, Graham and Darren. I started listening to the show back when Randall first came on, maybe 2015, he guesses, and I love what you guys do. Full disclosure, I'm a fellow podcaster and co-host, The Amish Inquisition. Amish. Uh, I think it can be either or. No. Really? No? No. Okay. The Amish Inquisition. Out of the UK with my two buddies starting in 2017. You have been a huge inspiration to me. Is he an Amish then? I don't know. Let me read on here. And I don't think he's, he says, says either way. Your influence along with some of my favorite shows, such as OBDM, No Agenda, Snake Bros, and Conspiranormal is evident in our podcast. I often mention on our show that we are like an inverted Grimerica. One hour interview followed by an hour or so of news, chats, jingles, SFX, and generally being silly. We're also value for value and adopt the same rule regarding guests, i.e. whoever we deem interesting. Now that I've got the background stuff out of the way, this leads me to explain why I'm writing this email, a live synchronicity during our podcast. As a rule, we dislike social media, but when the lockdown started, I decided to pick up our neglected old Instagram page with a handful of posts and 150 odd followers and see if I could be more active on there. That reminds me, I want to I want to transition into an Instagram story of, that we've got Right. To our social media stuff. I got That's a story. Instagram story. I want to talk to you about some Instagram stuff after this. Let's oh segue boy. into it. I can't wait. I started posting every day, linking our podcast releases and following people we like. Gradually, over the following months, I made my way up to a thousand followers about two or three weeks ago. Now, we tend to book our guests at least a month in advance. In this case, our guest, Eric Klein, was booked on August 16th to record on September 13th. Yesterday was September 13th, the day we were due to record episode 149 of our show with Dr. Eric Klein, an expert in the collapse of the Bronze Age, who is famous for writing a particular book, 1177 BC, the year civilization collapsed. I've been seeing that a lot, that book lately. For the first time in nearly 150 episodes, I was nervous, anxious. I'm a huge fan of ancient history. I'm a huge ancient history nerd, so... Getting to talk to Eric was pretty intimidating for me, and it showed during the first half of the interview. Anyways, I checked our Instagram in the morning and noticed we had 1,162 followers. Huh, that's pretty close to 1,177, I said to myself, not giving it much thought. Later on, as we start recording, I put out my usual pre-recording Instagram posts and noticed we had crept up to 1,176 during the day. As we finished our interview, I mentioned to Eric, hey, if you get your phone out now, you can be our 1177th follower. And he did. It was captured on our show, timestamp 10430. 
On top of that, Eric then went on to explain that his book, 1177 BC, currently has 1177 ratings on Amazon. And some guy is selling a secondhand copy of the book for, you guessed it, $11.77. Hmm. A compound synchronicity there. As you probably know, Instagram is pretty, pretty flaky. People follow and unfollow all the time, so I thought it was pretty weird. An hour or so after speaking with Eric and recording our debrief section, we were up past 1180. It was just a fleeting moment that happened to coincide. Seems pretty weird to me, but I know, don't know what you guys would make of it. I've attached a screenshot from my phone that you hear, that you hear me take on the podcast and show the camera also the shot of Eric's author page plus a Spotify link to the episode. Should you wish to hear how it happened? If I pull my finger, I don't understand what he means here. If I pull my finger, I'll upload a short video clip showing how it happened too. Here's a Spotify link. Anyways, thanks for everything you do. I hope CAC goes off according to plan. I would love to be there in person. I know we'll talk about that too. That'll segue into that. I would love to be there in person, but I'll be there in spirit. Coincidentally, we do have Dave Matheson coming on our show a few, work af- a few weeks afterwards, so hopefully get the load on CAC then. I'm in the chat, says Amish, Amish, Amish? Amish. Amish. Amish Phil, but I confess I'm not very active and a bit of a lurker. Love and light, Amish Phil from the Amish, from the Amish Inquisition. I don't think Amish <laughs> can have cell phones, can they? <laughs> Uh, I would love to have either of you both on our shitty little show sometime, but I know how busy you guys are. So anyways, yeah, we'll, we'll go on your show. That'll be fun. Thanks for the synchro. You're going to rate this guy. Pretty good comp round. 6.9. I was going to go 6.6. So I gave him a little extra. Thought maybe go 7.7 or something. No, no, he had to, I was going to go 7, 7.7 minus 1.1 and give him a 6.6. Ah, oh yeah. That would have been good. Yeah. I upped it to 6.9 because I like him. But he pushed it along, so he's lucky I didn't uh, disqualify him. He had to tell him to be 11.77. That's okay. No. Yeah, because the guy's not going to follow No, that's almost a disqualifying factor. No, 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 because all the other things that compounded Mm -mm. it, too. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's still weird Mm -mm. that it happened after a month. But they book it a month in advance, and for it to be at that level, that's, that's pretty good. And if I was reselling his book, eleven seventy seven, looking for a price, <laughs> <laughs> override the uh, you pick the standard, yeah? Do you? Yeah. You know what's funny is if you look at like all of the books we've republished, all the old books we've republished, so we could turn them into audio. They're all like one, two, three, four, eleven, eleven, seven seventy seven. I get it. So Instagram. That's what we're segueing into? Yeah. Tax postponed until April. Okay. 8th to 11th. April. So this is the one with David Matheson and Brandon Powell that we're going to be in Utah and where else? It was our trip to do the sky watching, the, the star myths of the world. Yeah, in Duck Creek Village, uh, Utah. Yeah. So we've pushed everything back again. Utah's limits are sitting at 20, so it's not looking like we can have 50, you know, all the people we had... You know, we had 35 people staying in the one venue and then then eight in each of the other ones. And the border, crossing the border is still an issue too, with us having to quarantine and all that. So unfortunately, we have to cancel it or postpone it till April. So do you have anything else to 
to say about that, Darren? No, I mean, it sucks, but it's unfortunate. If you had a ticket and you can't make those dates, just let me know and we'll figure you out. Yeah. I think we've already had one email of somebody that can't make it in that in that time frame. So we'll resell the ticket or we'll do something or we'll give your money back or whatever, right? We'll figure it out. We'll refund because yeah. uh, we moved it around. Yeah. And it's out of your control. You'll get a, a full refund. So let me know. Uh, of course, it would be ideal if most of you didn't do that and you came to the show. We don't have a ton of money. I mean, we got all that money sitting in the account, but I don't want to have to start trying to resell those things too much. Yeah, yeah. We got the Scavlands. I mean, Scavlands, we're doing all right. We could, I'm waiting until the that dust settles. That's going to be May sometime. I mean, I don't know. I that might be early. Like, I was almost thinking April might be early with the way things are going. I mean, I don't know, man. I think it's, it might just be worse. In Jan, December, if we can't January, do it February. by, if we can't do it a year after schedule, then I think we got to start thinking about just, you know, we can't just hang on to everyone's money forever. Yeah, 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 I guess you're right. True. Yeah, I just, I'm just, I just don't know if this, if there's an end in sight. I don't think we can thing, still be, people will still be putting up with this in six months, I do you think? I hope not. But let's not talk about it. Anyway, let's hear your uh, little Instagram. Well, here, so there's, Instagram's been on a fact check mission. I've seen other people that we follow, they're like, hey, fact check, because you've been going around to all the old ones. So you remember that one that you sent me about the masks? A child in America is 66,666 oh, yeah, times yeah. more likely to be sold to human traffickers than die of COVID. In addition, your masks assist them in being transported undetected and unidentified to anyone. Yeah. Never mind about the people that are wearing the masks that won't be identified that could be taking kids. See why? Fact checkers say this is false. Why do you think this is false, Darren? This sort of semi-meme. It might be a global stat. Fact checker. Who's the fact checker? USA Today, the fact checker. These fact checkers get me going, I tell you. Your con the conclusion is false. Fact check. Mask wearing not connected to child trafficking. Thanks, fact checkers. Does that even mean? Well, it is technically true. Well, it's not like we're... But they're missing meme. the point. They're missing the point. This is the thing. Is that, that no one cares about this child trafficking? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So the next one. No, there's more. Oh, there, it's on. So I posted a bunch of memes, like 10 memes in a row, right? There's a map of all the wildfires. I didn't say anything about anything. Didn't say they were arson. I didn't say anything. Just posted a picture of the fires. It seemed to stop at the border, right? Science feedback is the fact checker on this one. Missing context. Independent fact checkers say information in this post is missing context and could mislead people. More information. Western U.S. fires, wildfires are not the result of widespread arson. Are they? I don't know. Doesn't matter. No. I just put a map of fires on there. Didn't say anything about arson. But are they? Are they what? Arson? I don't know. Wasn't there something like 100 people arrested for arson? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that, well, that's the other, I'm not even going there. Yeah. I don't even want to go there. I'm just saying what, I didn't say anything about arson. I just put a map of fire, wildfires on there. Mm -hmm. And they're just already just getting their backs up. <gasps> Nobody said they're arson. These aren't all widespread right, arson. Right. What else you got? I just, <laughs> I, it's just, just it blows me away. These fact checkers are just shining this bright light of their incompetence and their bias. On I mean, it's disgusting. These people. Said these fact checkers. 
All right. What's next? You people. Uh, I don't know what else you got. You want to do the quote now? Sure. Got a quote out of Charlie's book. Charlie's coming out with a new book soon, too. We're going to have him on. We should have him on to talk about his new book. But this is The Octopus of Global Control. It's in a chapter which I just realized is full of, like, I could have picked, like, five or six quotes for today. Five or six quotes? Wait, you're going to settle on one? Oh, boy. <laughs> I should I should do... I should do... I'm going to do two, because I have one here that looks like I was supposed to do it, and I didn't highlight it as it was done. So are you going to do the jingle, or...? Yes. say this these two quotes happen to be by the same guy the same rich white guy rich white guy bill yeah. gates no 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 <laughs> and i don't know where the, when this was from but we are on the verge of a global transformation all we need is the right major crisis and the nations will accept the new world order and then the second one is if the Council on Foreign Relations raises the hackles of the conspiracy theorists, the Bilderberg meetings must induce apocalyptic visions of omnipotent international bankers plotting with unscrupulous government officials to impose cunning schemes on an ignorant and unsuspecting world. Same guy. George Bush Sr. No, close. David Rockefeller. That cocksucker. Isn't he dead? I don't, I don't know. Who knows if these guys really die? You think they just, what? Probably uploaded to some new guy. Some new guy? Yeah. Just carrying on the bloodline. All right. <laughs> <laughs> support the show. GovAmerica.ca <laughs> slash support. If you are getting a little value from the show, and you'd like to send a little value back our way, we would appreciate it. Uh, the finance have taken a hit with COVID and all the other bullshit going on, people losing their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Go america.ca slash support if you can, when you can, if you are getting a little value from the 450-some-odd episodes we've released for free. Of course, you can get that black budget feed for free as well. Another 60, 70 episodes in there, all that for free. Go america.ca slash support. If all those free episodes have added some value to your life, why is it worth a cup of coffee a month, a cup of coffee a week, a cup of coffee a day? You let us know. Go to america.ca slash support. We're happy to get whatever we can and uh, work towards breaking free from the chains. Go to america.ca slash support. We've been on some other shows lately, too. I wanted to just give them a shout out quickly. I was on Idiocalypse the other day. I think there was a whole bunch of us on there talking about 9-11, Conspiracy Chicken and Conspiracy Castle, and Sam Tripoli made it for a little bit. And I was on Sam's uh, podcast, Zero. I think that's the one you were on too, eh, Darren? We were on separately? Yes. I think you can find that on Rockfin. Uh, I think you have Rockfin. to be a supporter. I think you have to be a subscriber to Rockfin. 
to get access to that. Um, and I then we run into Sam's Patreon. <clears throat> uh, yeah, th- I think there, there's different. He has a patron show and a Rockfin show, I think. So it depends on which one you were on. But I was on the Rockfin one. I don't know. And then we're com- we're going to be on uh, Dangerous World Pod coming up as well this Wednesday. I think that'll be on a regular sort of Wednesday night recording. What and, else were uh, we just on? Well, the Union. Oh yeah, we're thinking that, the Union of the was Unwanted. Was one where Buddy was drunk. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that was um, that was with Six the No Agenda guys. Abs. Six packs and abs. Yeah, we were on with the, with those guys too. Yep, that was uh, interesting. That was interesting to say the least. Oh. Nick the Rat was there. There was a whole Nick bunch the of us there. there. Uh, he wants to have us on again, too. Well, we've never been on his show. Haven't we? No. You were oh. bugging him about his voice. I think he was insulted. Oh, he could be. I'm an insulting guy. I wasn't trying to be insulting. And Darren O'Neill was there, too? I still don't know if that's his real voice or not, though. <laughs> it is. I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, I think he's trolling us all. Yeah, he might be. He's a good troll. I should have done a voice from the beginning. But we should go on a show. That'd be fun. You could have done a voice and a pseudonym. I can't do a voice. Nick the Rat is I can't doing do a voice. it. Nick if the I don't Rat do, is living rat, your dream. If I don't do a voice in d and not do. I can't do a voice for the podcast. Yeah. I, mean, I can't even do I'm grabbing, grabbing. I put... I put <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. But could you talk like that all the time? <laughs> See, I mean, Nick's like living your dream. He's got a pseudonym. Nobody knows his real name. And maybe we don't even know his real voice. You're going to have to get better at the voices so we can get you into fiction narrating. Yeah. yeah. You should do some acting classes. No, we know you're shaking no. your head. No, I don't want to. Because it'll, it's, it'll don't creep want me you out. To be I don't want to do acting. I don't want to do any of that. You do good voices. No, I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. And I've decided no. No. I don't want to do <laughs> That's not my path. Because of the acting classes or because of the voices? Just, are you self-conscious about doing voices? It's okay. Probably, yeah. But voices. I don't. I've been spending like twelve and a half years to try and be myself, not be somebody else. It's weird. Well, you be in yourself. I don't think. Like, <laughs> I don't think adding a little spice to some narration is not being authentic to yourself. I'd hate to. It's have, a whole different thing. I'd hate to have it drive you these to drink actors, again. These <laughs> actors and all, I'd have like six separate voices that they so, work on. Like it's a lot of work. I can't. I can't do yeah, it. I'm, I'm not very good with accents. First fiction. I'm book not very good. Fell off the wagon. <laughs> One of the characters was a drunk. Yeah. that was it. Yeah. I haven't seen him in three weeks. <laughs> I did have a using dream the other night. Holy fuck, did was you? that weird? It's like a nightmare. Complete nightmare. You ever had a dream about using cocaine? That's crazy. I've done enough cocaine in my life that I don't really dream about You don't dream about it. Well, you don't dream, so. Yeah, I don't really know about dreams. It's it's a nightmare. Put it that way. It's a nightmare. I mean, the last couple times I did cocaine were pretty much a nightmare. (laughs) I remember, like, the second after it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a terrible idea. And then it just pretty much ruined the night. And then you forget, you know, you're out again, a few drinks. Hey, baby, my line. Like, all right, buddy. And then you're like, it used oh to be boy. fun, right? Yeah. I've still got the, I still had those recollections of the good times yeah. still stuck in the back of your head. And then, yeah. you know, next thing you know, you realize you're in the men's room of some shitty club <laughs> <laughs> making bad choices. Anyway, I digress. I almost burned down the Airbnb Friday. 
Holy, really? Well, not really. Almost burned it down. I didn't read the note on the coffee table. And there was a fireplace there, so I just started chopping up some wood, threw it in the fireplace. And uh, a few minutes later, the whole fireplace was just filled up with smoke. It was oh, starting the- to like leak out the door a little bit. And and I thought I was playing with the thing on top, and it wasn't working. The flu? The flu. The flu. And uh, so I have to text the guy. I'm like, hey, man, the fireplace filled up with smoke. I don't know what the fuck. And he's like, well, did you read the note on the coffee table? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you just get right by all the notes <laughs> yeah. again. You didn't read anything. And uh, he's like, okay, well, there's a switch on the wall. Just flip the switch and open the door. It'll be fine. That's what I did. But yeah, sure enough, there's a note on the on the thing with a bunch of little breakdown of all these little things. Yeah. Nice place, though. Great good. place right on the river. You can fish just good. down the hill. Yeah. South Calgary? How far down? Crow's Nest Pass. Yeah, about We're in the two pass. hours down. Right by Frank's slide. Two hours down there? Or yeah, it's a good yeah. hour 45, yeah. man. I yeah. could live down there. I really you like could. That, I really like it down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at spots for a while, but it's still a little pricey. I think it's going to come down a lot over the next couple of years. I don't know, man. I don't know. That kind of property might be coming up. People are moving out of the cities. So that's like right up. on the BC border, like fucking 40 miles from the US border. It's yeah. a real good spot to be. Plenty of rainfall, yeah. plenty of wild animals, yeah. plenty of fish, water. And decent weather, you know, better than Calgary probably. Or oh, I guess it's probably similar snow-wise, like winter-wise. It's pretty It's similar. in the mountains They got still. some it's ski highs there, right? only yeah. a few yeah. minutes from Fernie. Kimberly. Yeah. I really like it there. I could see myself living there one day for sure down on that crow's nest path. Anyway, we had a good time. It was smoky as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the smoke's everywhere, man. The smoke's made it to Texas <clears throat> from the West Coast. Well, that's what I was going to get into the Operation Project segment. I had a whole bunch of weather modification operations, but... We couldn't even we'll save, save We'll save those for next time, I sheep guess. all day because you could just couldn't see. It was yeah. so cloudy you could, or smoky, you couldn't see fucking yeah. anything. Yeah. Got some partridge, though. Got Global warming. Global warming. Gotta, you know, this doesn't matter how these fires are started, Darren. Doesn't matter. It's global warming. That's I forgot how easy it was to hunt partridge. Yeah. You should come out bird hunting. I don't want to, I'm not killing anything. Not even little birds? No, it doesn't, still, no, fish only. You just fish. let other people do your killing I'll for do you. fish, yep, definitely. You just chase that flock of partridge through the bush and kill the whole fucking, <laughs> whole flock. Usually in seven or eight, but they can't fly far, so we only did five. Five was And then what'd you do enough. with them? What do I do? So I usually bring a bag of ice in the cooler, and I just, uh, as soon as I kill them, I clean them. I'll leave one wing on the breast in case uh, someone pulls me over and wants to make sure. Because there's some sort of protected gross in Alberta. I can't remember what it is. I know what it looks like, kind of. I looked up pictures of it, but there's some sort of spotted gross or ruffled gross. So that wing proves that you're not killing a protected thing? Killing a protected species, yeah. So you clean up right there. You just do it. Then I just leave the breast on. I don't debone it. I mean, you could cook it with the. bone in if you want but i usually just debone them into a couple little breast chunks like that it's probably like a third of our chicken breast <coughs> it mm. takes you know takes probably three birds to feed me and the kids i'd be with a bit of leftovers three birds four birds to kill mm. you need quite a bit of them for sure yeah they're small here back home they're bigger huh. but i mean it looks very much like chicken it's just like a bit of a pinker chicken Less white, a little pinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about like salmonella and stuff. You can undercook it and leave it juicy. The more you know. Yep. It'd be nice to follow them back to their little nests. 
Because you know what? I'm I'm convinced the little legs and everything, they can't really fly very good. I'm convinced this is where the chickens came from. Like we took a bunch of these and domesticated them and put them in some pens when we realized that they laid these eggs and we could just eat them if they didn't get fertilized or if we didn't have a male around, we could eat the eggs. Must be where, that's what I'm thinking, you know? Like the cows and stuff came from the oxen or whatever. And those chickens probably came from domesticated partridges a long time ago. Maybe I should get some partridges instead of some chickens. But they're probably just leave me little mini eggs. Huh. Yeah. I think, you, I think just stick with the chickens. Just stick with the yeah, chickens? Yeah. They're fucking lippy sometimes. Are they really? Are they I getting loud? yelling at me again. Really? Well, get, I mean, they're not that loud. Just lippy. Really? They're getting... Why are they getting angry? I haven't given any scraps in a few days, so oh, I think they're just spoiled. She was just, right up on the deck. I looked just, outside the store, and she was up on the deck at the door, like. Bah, 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 bah. What do your neighbors think? Do they hear? Do they hear oh, the chicken? Oh man, those chickens are nothing compared to the dogs in the fucking neighborhood. Right, Seven thirty right. this morning, I wake up to a dog barking oh. its fucking head off. I mean, I'm not complaining. I don't yeah, care. I just yeah. go back to bed. But yeah. my chickens are nothing compared to the dogs and the motorcycles and everything else I can hear on the highway, the chickens are much quieter than that. I just throw them off the deck. Watch them try to fly. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're fine. They sort of flutter down to the ground. <laughs> I had, if I just put that, I had these two black pots I stuck up at the top of the stairs and they, they you could see when that was there, they wouldn't come up because they look up and it looks like something sort of menacing at the top of the stairs, but now they're fucking... <laughs> No, they're brave. As soon as they go, one goes one place, and all of them just fucking. <laughs> do, do, do. Oh yeah, and that's what those partridge are like. Do you see when the bush fucking? Do, do, do. I mean, we seen the first group of partridge. I didn't even have the shotgun out yet. It's still locked up in the case. I had time to stop the truck, spend a few minutes finding the keys, unlock and pull out, pull out the shells. Still looking at me. Oh, jeez. So I walk over to it. Oh. <laughs> All right, you don't have to get into the, you know. Too much the, for you? The eye-gazing part of it. I didn't say I looked into its <laughs> eyes. You just imagine that part. It's your weird little map. <laughs> Gazing into the eyes of game birds. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do the oppo next time. For now, we'll jump into this fantastic chat with Durek. Took some time out of his Australian life. Looks like he's living in New Zealand. In New Zealand. They don't like that either no. when, you, when you mix them up. It's like calling us Americans. I don't mind that so much. Um, I really look like a nice body hat. Yeah. Nice and green. I yeah. miss the green. It's funny how I, just two hours that way when you get out there, it's nice to see how green it is again. When you go west instead of east. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat. Dirk Walker.
right, we've got a personal one for you tonight. Dirk Walker from New Zealand. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he was he was hanging around with uh, me and Mark Ramfeck. You might have heard him on AM Bite the other day, and then my our friend Rye as well. And he moved back to New Zealand. I what was it? How many years ago was that? Now, two thousand fourteen. Fourteen. Oh, I can't believe how long ago it was. That's I mean, quick, that's, eh? Yeah, it's quick, eh? So, anyways, thanks for coming on and chatting about your journey, buddy. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's um, it's an interesting journey, and I just uh, I'm grateful that you guys want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we wanted to have you here in in studio because part of your journey was was coming to North America for uh, for some of the healing there, and uh, we wanted to have you here. But COVID happened, so we couldn't get in touch physically. But I, th- I no. thought we should still have you on to talk about your your experience because it's been going on for a while and and you know you and i were into meditation and a bunch of spiritual things here so i'm really and i we and you and i haven't talked a lot at all so it'll kind of be a chance for us to catch up as well yeah cool yeah i mean yeah i mean uh, my time in canada just a bit of context my time in canada with you and and the bunch of people that i met there was really important in terms of my development of figuring out who i am and then that all sort of helps to figure out what's the best way to navigate through the journey that I was I was tasked with a few years back. So that's um, a really important part of me. Canada has a has a a very big piece of my heart, to be honest. How long were you here for? I arrived in two thousand and nine, and then I left in two thousand mid mid two thousand fourteen. Yeah. So just on four and a half five years. Yeah. Um, got to travel around a bit and see a bit of the countryside and just love it. Just yeah. love it. Yeah. But, but your winters are, your winters are tough. <laughs> yeah, they're tough. I know you're in winter right now. You're sitting outside in the patio in winter, twenty degrees. But it's not even bland. It's but not even the cold. It's just the blandness. Yeah, the lack of sun and yeah, the lack of color. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. but I mean, you're in New Zealand's not as hot as I always pictured it to be, right? It's fairly, fairly like would BC, Vancouver weather type thing. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess the difference is that our sunlight's a, mo- a bit more harsh. We don't apparently we used to have an o- a hole over the ozone layer over the south south here South Pole, and our radiation levels are quite high. Uh, high, so our sun gets really harsh, and so a lot of sunburn we get. You can get burnt in fifteen minutes in the sunshine here like burnt to a crisp, whereas in Canada it's very warm and you still got the ozone protecting you. So it's different. Um, it's it's not the, not quite the same. You guys in Alberta there, you don't have much humidity either. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's just different sort of heat, but same sort of same sort of um, uh, range on the temperatures, but we don't have the minus 40s that you guys have either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Good. Yeah, a couple of weeks of that. Are you before we get into your journey? Are you um, how's it? How is it with COVID right now in New Zealand? Do you live any close to any big cities? Or I think you, um, um, you guys made sorry. the news a few weeks back where uh, I think was it was it the people was it the cops kind of uh, going to door to door in New Zealand or is that Australia? That's Australia. Yeah, you. I can't remember why you guys were kind of in the news. Uh, Back when you went, maybe when you got up to level two, I guess it was a small outbreak or something like that. And yeah, so we went like I think it was 102 days without a, a case, yeah, right. and then um, a case came in. So they they locked down Auckland to alert level three, which means um, staying home for non-essential services, and uh, the rest of the country went into level, alert level two, which means um, social distancing practices. Um, and, and be careful, really, uh, and good hygiene practices. So that all happened a, a couple of weeks back. We've just, Auckland's just come out of alert level three, I think it was like two days ago, I think, um, on the 30th, maybe. And um, so New Zealand's just adjusting to that, really. So 
So I'm two and a half hours north of, of Auckland, which is our major city. Um, so I'm out of the out of the way, which is nice because um, it's tough on people to keep going down through these lockdowns economically and physically and, and emotionally. I will say. Yeah, especially when there's the information is so hard to uh, decipher. You know, the testing, the, sort of the bogus. I don't know about what you guys are using there for testing, but I mean, our testing is kind of you know, there's in the states and Canada, they're still using that PCR testing, which is ambiguous and false positives and false negatives, and then they're building policies around that. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been through the testing process is when I arrived back from the United States as as part of my um, treatment process to come back from there, I had to go through the two week quarantine process and and did the two nasal swabs that they require you to do. If you don't do them, they require you to stay in quarantine for a month, and that's wow. a challenge. Um, so you and, got you got to take that test then. Well, there's no mandatory requirement, but it's pretty hard well, to go yeah, against yeah, it. Yeah, 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 unless you want to sit but around for you know what I'm, You know what I'm saying there. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it's um, – but emotionally, it was very difficult for me going coming back after having been in a clinic for three months where it's all focused on healing and health and making massive recoveries and then coming back to an environment where I have no control over how I live, which, which is difficult because um, – you need your sunshine every day. You need your exercise every day. You need your fresh air. And that's a natural requirement for the human body. Now, I'm not a doctor or anything, but that's what I've learned through my journey. Those are the things you need. So sitting in quarantine for, for two weeks is is a challenge. I found it very difficult uh, mentally. Yeah, that's, Physically, what, that's what makes me wonder about it. I mean, it's not it's not the healthiest way to be. Just making people sit at home in their you know, and, and well, you're in a you're in a four star hotel. So, New Zealand's got very strong opinions. The, the borders are very well protected, and so the population is very much that that the borders should be protected, and so anybody coming in should have to go through quarantine. Um, it's it's a different story going through it than it is talking about people having to go through it. Um, so, so you couldn't even my room didn't even have a window to open up, and the food, so I couldn't get any fresh air. It's just air conditioning. Oh, you're not like you're not in quarantine. Like go home. No, you're in a hotel. Oh, my God. And then, um, uh, so every second day, I was allowed to have an hour outside of exercise. <laughs> but but what that meant, actually, was where I was, it took us a quarter of an hour in the bus to get to the location where you could do the exercise. Oh, my God, what? So, so then when you're doing the exercise, you get 25 to 30 minutes before you got to get back in the bus to get back to the hotel within the hour allotted so that the next people can come out. So, so every second day... Um, you are uh, essentially getting half an hour outside. Um, and that's tough on me because of what my body's going through. It needs fresh air. So um, I, I feel privileged, to be honest, that we actually had a space to exercise because I know people uh, in different hotels from what I've heard don't even have an exercise place. So the fact that I was able to get out and walk around at all was a good thing. I used to have to get up every morning at three or four o'clock in the morning and go out to the smoker's deck when there's nobody there and do an hour of movement, just walking on a, on a small space, just doing figure eights, just trying to get the body to exercise because I need to move. Yeah, because um, you're right. But like you said, you're right back from this, the months and months in a clinic healing from cancer, and then you're mm -hmm. stuck in this quarantine. Wow. So they Was don't that just, a big part of your treatment then, like movement it, and fresh air and sunshine? 
Definitely, they're huge components of any human being to be healthy, and that's the funny thing about all this, this notifications around COVID is that they're not instructing us to improve your immune system, to get out and exercise, to eat nutrient-dense food, to breathe. They're not teaching us any of that. It's just our solution is a long-term shot in the future. We're going to get something to give you. We're going to give you something. And that's that's an approach. And it's a valid approach for some people. That's what they want to do. But it's not my choice to do that because I know what my body's been through. The challenging thing with quarantine was I'd spent three months with a doctor who's controversial, but he knows what he's doing and getting results. And then all of a sudden I'm told by somebody else, a government, that I don't know what health is and this is what is the best requirement for my health situation. Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah. that's crazy. Um, I'm I'm, I'm cautious about what I say online about this stuff because I – I I could have applied when I when I first decided to come home when I had to come home, I was applying for exemptions to the quarantine. But I said I don't I'm not applying for an exemption because I understand the quarantine rules and I don't I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not a rule breaker. I'm a good boy that likes to follow the rules and do things properly. But um, I did apply and say these are the things that I need to have in order for me to continue my recovery. The day that I flew out of America, I still hadn't had notification that anybody knew what my situation was. Right. And so that that form that I sent in, um, you know, because I'm a high risk based on the standard narrative, uh, comorbidity, I've got, I've got the cancer diagnosis. So I'm a high risk. So I should be getting specific treatments if, in my view because they should be isolating me or keeping me separate, whatever. But I was just bundled with everybody else. Um, there was no... No specific treatments or benefits, uh, or benefits or, or different treatments, and and it wasn't perfect by any means. It wasn't perfect. Um, the hotel staff, brilliant. The nurses and stuff doing their job, brilliant. But they don't have a context. They are just told this is what you must do because this is the best approach, and that's challenging to have conversations with people who have limited perspective on what other options are out there. Yeah. So I guess, see, I heard a little bit about the hotels, but I didn't realize that was for everybody in the quarantine. Like we had to quarantine if we're going traveling across borders and coming back here. But I think they just sort of tell you, you got to go home and not, not do anything for 14 days. Right. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But I I guess you guys (laughs) utilized, you guys utilized all your empty hotels uh, since it was sort of shut down anyways. And that's how you forced the quarantine, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, I'm assuming we're a small country and we don't have the facilities, really. So anybody flying in um, to New Zealand, you have to go into quarantine for two weeks, and that's in a hotel, four-star hotel. So the food is is not what you'd get in a normal four-star. It's, it's My understanding is the food's regulated. Um, but you've got nice beds, nice sheets, and you get to watch cable TV, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it's not prison, but it's not freedom either. Oh, boy. Well, we started off doing, sorry, we started off doing what you guys did with two weeks self-quarantine. We started off doing that, but when we went to alert level four, that's when they brought the rules and you have to go through a hotel. So do you think they overreacted when you guys got that, when you went that, th- those many days without a case? Like, how? I mean, it's hard. I don't really have the context for that because over here, the testing seems so ambiguous that I can't imagine there ever not being people tested that positive. Because if you test all these people, you're always going to get a small percentage that are showing some sign of a strain of coronavirus. Yeah. (laughs) I think you've summed it up in that question. Um, It's, 
um, I guess the thing that's highlighted with all this is that what you what what we get told is what people believe, and if you if you dig a bit deeper, you start to find out the the, the weaknesses or the shortcomings of a lot of these tests, and you you go okay, well then this is just best best options available, but is it the only option available? And you know I've heard. I've heard stuff about the tests not being able to pick up specific strains of corona. So, so then, how do you know which ones you've got? Yeah. Um, and whether it's whether it's an overreaction by the government, I don't know. I don't know the information they get. Um, for the whole world, the shutdowns a pretty big thing. But I look back now, and you see the numbers getting revised, and you see the total deaths, especially with the CDC, the total deaths that are directly attributable to COVID. You go. Maybe it was an overreaction, and and that's not a conspiracy. That's just well, hang on. The numbers haven't the numbers haven't borne out like we were told they were going to. Yeah. So then that obviously, if if you're in a business, you look at your numbers and go, well, how did all that happen? What do we need to do better next time? But <laughs> what's interesting, what's interesting is that we just seem to be getting more and more controls. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. That's a good way to sum it up. But I mean, plus it's based on you know the whole initial scare was based on false false models and the people that are doing those models or have done them wrong in the past <laughs> many times. And it's just, yeah, a lot of people have money in vaccines right now and it's getting crazy. So let's get into your cancer journey then. So how, where do you want to start with that? Cause I don't think, I don't think I knew, uh, when you were here, that wasn't, uh, thing, was it, it wasn't on the radar at all. Um, so I guess it starts back in 2005 and six. I had uh, six head injuries within 12 months. And so I went from being a pretty active, successful person, I guess, if, if I want to use that terminology. I had a professional job in New Zealand in a, in a pretty big corporate and I uh, was doing quite good with life. And then the head injuries came along and knocked me out. I got diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome. Um, so that was six head injuries in 12 months. And then over the next few years, my... Life's just started to deteriorate. Really, I couldn't. Uh, I could no longer hold down my career as a chartered accountant because my ability to work long hours in front of computers was gone. Uh, I could do maybe maybe an hour or two with any full concentration, and then I'd suffer. Um, and so, and then what would happen is I'd work for a couple of weeks because I got a part-time job, and then I'd have to take a week or two off to recover to come back and do another two or three weeks. So it was really a difficult um, process to go through. And I could see that my lifespan of being able to work um, long term in, in this career uh, was was limited. So while I still had some health, I decided to come to Canada. Um, but what was happening was every year or so, I'd knock my head again. And as I'd knock my head, it's, it, the impact doesn't have to be that strong. It would have a greater effect on me because if your body doesn't get the chance to heal, then you're in trouble. And the thought back in those days by the doctors was after about a year, that's where you're going to stay for the rest of your life. So as, as much as you've recovered in a year, that's where you are. You don't. There's nothing they can do for you. It's just pretty much learn to live life new. So I decided to come to Canada and uh, earn my millions, I guess, and a good job and then head home to New Zealand about 40, 45 years of age and retire. That was my goal. Anyway, I got to Canada, got the good job and then got another head injury. Um, and that was in 2011, I got another head injury and that knocked me around a lot. So I went through your medical system there um, and, and with a, um, 
hospitals trying to figure out migraines and managing headaches and stuff because it's very difficult. Um, fluorescent lighting that you have in most office buildings sets me off. It would it would knock me around an hour or so of that, and I'd be struggling. And um, anyway, I was going okay uh, uh, after that injury. I decided to get into the whole lot of spiritual stuff that I, I met you through and just try and figure out more about who I was because I knew that life couldn't continue the way it was. And uh, then 2014, and the reason why I mentioned all that is that over the period of time, my body was health was just deteriorating. The head injury was taking that bigger impact on me. Obviously, the stresses of not being able to earn a decent income was taking an impact on me. Um, not knowing what my future was looking like was taking an impact, and just and just a lot of personal stuff that I didn't know was impacting me much was was creating a deterioration of my overall health over a period of time. Um, and then in 2013, October, my sister got uh, was killed in a car accident. And so that was a, a big shake-up for me. And so I came home to New Zealand for the funeral and then went back after a month of being in New Zealand, went back to Canada and decided I couldn't stay there. So I headed home uh, in August of 2014 um, and got injured again in October of 2014, <laughs> another head injury, which, which was brilliant because it helped me on my healing journey. So Are you anyway, like playing a um, sport or something that these head injuries keep coming up or bad luck? Well, I made a bit of both. Uh, the initial head injury was I got rear-ended sitting stationary in a vehicle. I got rear-ended by a guy driving his car too fast. He was doing 60. We were stationary. He just hit us and I was bending over in the front of the car. And that set me off and knocked me around out of balance and stuff. And then I fell off my mountain bike and then I fell off my skis and fell off my mountain bike again. Um, but the other the other injury is not so exciting. The one back in New Zealand that I thought was the end of it, that's 2014, was the car boot just closed on my head gently and it, it re-aggravated everything. Yeah. But the thing with that was it put me through a process of going through concussion specialists in New Zealand that allowed me to they have their knowledge had grown in the ten years that, that since I initially saw them, and I met this physio who was able to get my body back in structure and my neck back in structure um, physically, the bones back in place. I made a huge recovery within six weeks because he was he was willing to do things that doctors and stuff weren't, and and so I was feeling really positive about life, thinking, yeah, I've finally got a sense of humour again because um, I didn't have much joy in my life to be honest before then. And then um, as I worked through that. I started to look at trying to get back into life again. So I went out and started getting part-time jobs, thinking, yeah, I'm starting to do this. So I worked in a pack house, a carefree pack house for a few months every season. And then I got a job driving tractors, which, you know, this is a far call from being a chartered accountant, but it was something I could do every day. And I held that job for two and a half years. And it wasn't until uh, October of 2018 that I got diagnosed with colon cancer. Wow. Um, a four centimetre um, uh, lump in my colon, right on the sigmoid fold, um, which is where just before it drops into your, your rectum. So that was a bit of a shock. And I went, oh, this is, this is nuts. I, I, I thought my life was just starting to come together again. I, you know, financially, I started to have some money coming to the door. How'd you then, figure uh, that out? What was how it did like, I figure so, it out? Well, I'm just wondering how you knew you had that problem, just in case something maybe our listeners won't overlook. Yeah, uh, well, there was blood in my stool, and I um, I kind of ignored it. I thought it was hemorrhoids or something, and then I did a bit of research, and it said, I know sometimes you see blood every now and then, don't panic. So I went, okay, then. So I did some research, and that's what I did. I, didn't, I just didn't panic. But then um, one day at work, and it was on and off that blood, and I thought, okay, it's okay. But then one day 
I was at work and nothing went right. I was exhausted and, and uh, a, a few minor accidents. I tripped over and stuff. And I went, this is not right. So I thought I'd better go and see my doctor. So I went to the doctor and he went through the symptoms and he said, we need even for a colonoscopy. And that's when they found it. Wow. Yeah. So was it like dark blood yeah. in the stools or? Uh, it was fresh, fresh blood. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Just on the surface of the yeah. stool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a bit of a shock. I, I kind of guess, I think I was expecting it because intuitively I was picking up cancer, cancer, cancer. And, and about a month before I got diagnosed, I'd even bought the Hay House uh, World Summit on Healing Cancer yeah. program. Yeah. And so in that case, so intuitively I knew something was up. Wow, but, you bought that before you were diagnosed. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So they so, were pretty sure when they when they found it, they were pretty sure that that's what it was? Like they did a biopsy? And... Well, there was a lump there. There's a biopsy. The biopsy yeah. was inconclusive, but the lump in the scans showed that there was a lump there. That yeah. had It was one millimeter clear of the colon wall, so it was technically it's cancer, but there was no cancerous cells in the tests, nothing conclusive. So I decided um, they were proposing to cut me from here to there. So pretty much take the sigmoid fold all the way through to um, the colon that goes across the top of your uh, abdominal area and take out all my um, lymph nodes as well. And um, uh, I, I sat long and hard with that one and I just couldn't come to the point where I could do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, dec I declined surgery. And that was after that was after having a long sit on a park bench one day, and just going, "What am I doing with my life here?" That's saying I need surgery, and everything inside of me was telling me not to do surgery, yeah, yeah. do not do surgery. Mm. And I went, "Okay." So as I got up to walk away, a voice in my head went, "If you get surgery, you'll never find out what caused it." <laughs> yeah. So I went, "Okay, that's uh, that's the path I've got to take." And you know, it's the, I don't have a lot of information. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert, but. My intuition said that that's not the path for me to take was to go down the surgical route, so I didn't. So I tried the natural path. So, you know, I was eating better. I changed my food. I meditated every day. I did yoga every day. I'd walk every day. I'd ground on the earth every day, all good stuff. Um, and I went and saw naturopaths and I went and saw herbal um, healers and homeopaths and, and all, excuse me, all sorts of things um, to make my life better. And I made massive changes. I dropped 30 kilos in three months just by doing all these changes. Good um, for you, man. Wow. Uh, so so that was good. And then I moved up north to Whangarei where I am from where I used to live down down south in, uh, in the middle of the North Island and uh, met a new doctor up here and she said, I think it's about time we went for another test. Um, and at that point, I was starting to show a bit green. My skin color was a bit green, which is a good sign your, your body's not where it needs to be. And... Um, Got another test done and they did scans and then they started to say, on the 23rd of December 2019, they said to me, you're at stage four palliative. Which <laughs> so, you went from, so you went from like all that, like changing your lifestyle and all that. And then they, yep. the next test you went in for, they said you're stage four palliative? Yep. Wow. I thought for some reason, I thought there was a bunch of testing along the way, but. Yeah, I did. I did. I did blood tests the whole way through, yeah, and said yeah. to them, "If my blood tests get out of line, I will come and see you again." But yeah, the blood yeah. tests were all good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how did the, they base that? How did they base that diagnosis then? Because uh, the tumor had grown a little bit. Okay, uh, it yeah. grown up to six centimeters, and the scans showed 
initial signs of um, metastasizing to uh, the liver and the lungs and the abdominal area. So, so that must have been pretty disappointing for you. I mean, changing all the, cause I mean, I, I often wonder like if I had cancer, how would I handle it? Right. I think I would do pretty much what, what you did. I mean, I would really try and change all those things that I know sort of, you know, aren't that healthy and, and maybe I would include, you know, some other things like fasting or something in there, but it's hard. Like, cause I don't think I would go down the chemo or the, or the surgery route either. I would try everything else first, I think. Well, one of our friends, Mark, who he put me onto the Truth About Cancer documentary series before when I got diagnosed, and I watched that and I went, I can't go down that path of chemo and radiation. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I will say this, though, because I believe in intuition. I believe in a higher power. I believe in guidance. About um, oh, June, July, August of 2019, uh, I was doing all my meditations. I did a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza work, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which I loved and I felt really good. And then one day I was meditating and this voice just came to me and said, we're taking you down a different path. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next words were, it's going to be a bit more challenging. Wow. I went, oh. And I, I didn't want to hear that. Yeah. Um, and then obviously when I got the test done, the next path was a little bit more challenging. And that was like um, six months after you heard that voice, right? Or, or so. Yeah. 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 Also five or six. Yeah. yeah. So, so Christmas day on 2019 was a bit rough. Um, you know, I was starting to sit there and looking at going, this is nuts. Uh, this could be the last Christmas I have. Cause the diagnosis was that if I don't do anything, maybe I'll last a year. If, if I decided to do chemotherapy because I was beyond surgery, um, yeah, we might be able to get another year or so out of it, but we're not talking long term here. We're talking about just trying to extend life as much as we can. Right. If, Were you kicking yourself had... at all at that time? Were you was there any regret on not taking the cut in the first time? Like did you question that decision at all? For a minute. Because I went that wasn't my path. Um the one thing of this whole journey I've had to learn to rely on myself and what I what I know about my body. Um, I don't regret the the um, not having the surgery. My father uh, had the same diagnosis with me when he was about 55 and he had the surgery and I've seen his life and I went, no, there's got to be a better way. When I first got diagnosed, I said, there's got to be a better way. I, there's got to be a better way for human beings to get healthy than just going down this chemical and cut and radiation route. Yeah. So... My dad, um, my dad also had that uh, colon. Was really? it a colon uh, colonoscopy? Is that what it was called? Or? Yes. Yeah, yeah. My dad, my dad had that for a few years before he passed away. Um, yeah, it was pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah. it's not a not a nice way to go, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so so I didn't regret it, but the Christmas day, I didn't. When he told me, I laughed. I did. When he told me, I just laughed, and because there was nothing more they could do for me, to be honest. And that was kind of a good thing because I was liberated to be able to go and do what I want to go and do right, right. and do it how I need to do. And so I talked to the uh, oncologist and he was really good. Um, and then uh, life has a way of bringing you what you need <laughs> when you need it. Um, and my faith in the highest power has grown immensely. There's definitely, a, I don't want to, I'm not religious in the sense of, you know, there's a certain church that I belong to, but um, after doing a whole lot of 
indigenous work with native healers and with the Maori in New Zealand and the, and the Native Americans in, in Canada, or, um, North Americans, First Nations, I know there's a higher power. And so uh, I decided that I'm going to trust that because everything inside of me is telling me to trust. And so life had a way of putting me in touch with um, Dr. Batar at the Centre for Advanced Medicine, um, who has a pretty good success rate of cancer treatments um, for people who are on their last steps. And so... What was it called, the Centre for Success Medicine? Centre for Advanced Medicine. Advanced Medicine, Medicine, yeah. It's in North Carolina. And... um, I researched a bit about his clinic, and he was also mentioned on the Truth About Cancer oh, okay. um, documentary series. And That's Ty, right? Ty Bollinger? Ty Bollinger, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we just lost you there. Hang on a sec. Say something? We just lost you. No, we still can't hear you. I don't know if it was on his end. It felt like it was on his end. Oh, it seemed like it. Eh? Like, How's this? Oh, that's yeah, better. yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Might have bumped the mute button. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> we were checking <laughs> our we were checking our our shaky cord there to see. I've got a pretty good list to go down pretty quick. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. You're responsive. I didn't even know that you are picking up on that. <laughs> so so I contacted their clinic and had a chat to them and. What was funny was when I first when I started investigating him again, I looked at his website. I mean, hang on a minute, I've seen this before, and it was the first website I checked out when I first got diagnosed. Wow, it was a website I checked out, and I looked at that and went, "Well, I can't afford to go there." That was my thought. I can't afford to go there. I've got to figure out another way. So um, they got me to send all my results and stuff over to them, and I did. Um, I decided I was going to go. And my brother and I are part shares in a, in a rental property uh, that we had. And I said to him, I've got to sell it. I've got to go because this is, it's not a, not a cheap treatment. And so um, we sold up everything and I put my money into getting over there um, to do the treatments. Yeah. Good for you. Um, uh, like even the house sale uh, was just the synchronicities that occurred, the way that it unfolded. It's just perfect. The money, the money came through for the house two days before I flew out to the states <laughs> on the eve of New Zealand shutting down the country. <laughs> Mate, so, <laughs> so when I bought my airline tickets, I didn't have the money to pay for them. They're on credit cards. <laughs> so I just and. You know, you're jumping on an aeroplane uh, on when the government announced we're going to go into lockdown level four, which means everybody's staying home. You're jumping on an aeroplane to fly from where I live in Whangarei to Auckland. There's five people on the plane, me and my brother are two of them, and, and three other passengers. The plane's empty. And then the, the hostess is looking at you going, are you flying internationally? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that's the right thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's kind of life or death at that point, right? I mean, you know. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, and, and as and there's once again the intuitions there. I, I was sitting quietly with myself, and the 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 message I got was, "Do I need to go? No, because I could stay at home and do the best I could, but lockdown would have been difficult. Yeah. Should I go? Yes, I should go. 
And has, so, has that carried forward now that you're feeling better? Like, has that sort of determination to just follow your will? Is that something you've always had, or is that something you built through this? I've always had a little bit. My decision to come and live in Canada was following my will, but um, my will's got stronger since this journey because um, you're very easily put down a path you don't want to go down if you aren't strong in who you are. Um, and it would have been very easy for me to roll over and say, just do what the doctors told me to do. And part of the reason why I said stuff it, I'm going to the States is the survival rate for five years with somebody in my situation, palliative stage four, is 4%. Yeah. Well, what's the point of getting another year out of it if you're getting chemo all the time and feeling lousy? Yeah. I'm going to find another way. So, so that was that was the survival rate after chemo, you mean? Like with chemo? Yeah. With everything. Yeah, with yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah, with everything. Yeah. 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 So you know, so to me it was a no-brainer, really, logically and intuitively, everything was telling me to go to the States. Yeah. So yeah, that was the eve of shutdown in New Zealand to alert level four, which everybody was stayed at home. Now the funny thing was, so I do I, I do high dose vitamin C as well. I was doing IV vitamin C. Okay. When when was that? Uh, I did that before I was in New Zealand. I did that after uh, – um, I used to do it in Canada, to be honest, uh, but I also did it in New Zealand. I did it for three for the three months before I flew out of New Zealand. Okay. Um, and that's, to me, an important part of your, your healing. But, you know, the Medical Association doesn't agree with vitamin C. There's no science behind it. Yeah. If – if I had stayed in New Zealand and I didn't have a, a doctor that was using vitamin C, I couldn't have got it because those weren't deemed to be essential services. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that frustrates me about this COVID thing is that what is it that determines an essential service? And I know so many people using high-dose vitamin C through um, IVs and clinics that the clinics have to shut down because they're not essential services as deemed by the government or by the medical association. And that's rough. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the fast food restaurants are essential, you know, well, and, the, and the liquor store. Everybody's job's essential to their kids and their bridge. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And that's, I mean, you guys, you, you see it, and people are hurting financially now. Yeah. So are you able to get into what some of that, that treatment was like or what a day was like over there? Or is that like, uh, nah, did you no, decide no, anything? Now, <laughs> now, was it weird? Because is this the the batar, the the famous batar that's really pushing back against COVID too? I mean, this, this is the, the famous guy, batar. Right? I mean, so that must have been a bit strange. Everybody in the world's hearing about this guy pushed back, and you're sitting in his facility healing. I mean, I I didn't even put two and two together till uh, just before we connected here on the, on the yeah, podcast, no, but. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. I knew I'd seen him on the Truth About Cancer, and, and I'd contacted the business clinic, but I had, I didn't know who he was in terms of his, his background. Yeah. Um. So when I got over there, um, the, the treatment was brilliant. Um, a day in the treatment was, I had to have a pick line put in through my arm and into my heart, and I would get IVs every day while I was there. And so you know, IVs included high dose vitamin C. Um, hydrogen peroxide, oh, wow. um, DMPS and EDTA, which are heavy metal toxin chelation process. Yeah. Um, I would be getting minerals to keep sure, make sure my body was staying at a healthy level, and I get regular blood tests. I was doing hyperbaric. I was doing an on-demand machine. I was doing foot detox, foot baths. 
lots of things. Um, wow. So, the, and this is some of these are daily, some of them are weekly, or something like that, or. Uh, yeah, the, you, you're there for a round, and a round was four weeks. So I was an autoimmune patient, so that's you're there for four weeks. Okay. And five days of those weeks, you're in the clinic getting treatments. And so it's intense. Like, you are sitting around a lot and laying on beds a lot, uh, doing hyperbaric and stuff, but it's very tiring on the, on the, on the patient going through. So that's why you need a support person. So my brother had to come with me from New Zealand to the States, and I... And I want to give him a great thanks for him because it's a big call when the world's going into lockdown with oh, this yeah. deadly virus to decide to jump on an airplane when you're perfectly healthy and go to the United States where, you know, things are getting pretty rampant over there uh, to support me on my healing journey. So um, I'll be forever in debt with my brother on that one. Yeah. So, yeah, five days a week you're doing all these treatments. Uh, every, day, uh, every day is slightly different, but there's some common treatments that go through all of them. Is there any um, NAD plus at all or? Did they use NAD, NAD plus uh, IV? Not that, not no, that not I know of, no. Yeah. He, he's got his very, very much his own protocols. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so as I did that, every week they're doing blood tests and they measure your lymph, uh, lymphocytes, your natural cancer, your natural killers and cancer panels. And my results started to get better and I started to feel better. Wow. And then in the, I was there for just over three months. I was in the clinic for two and a half months, um, did two rounds. Um, my green color that I had before I went, which is a cancer color, um, disappeared. And I felt really, really good. Uh, coffee enemas is another thing I had to do every day. And so wow. I'm going, this stuff's working. It's really intense. Graham did some coffee enemas for the show. Did he? Yeah. How'd they go? Did you, did you have Very something you didn't tell us about, or was it just strictly to just check it out? Just to check it out, yeah. Oh. That was back in the biohacking days of the show. Yeah. Use that I got some coffee here <laughs> now. Use some of that again. Can it be instant? <laughs> it wants to be warm. I don't want to be instant, instant cold coffee. No, thanks. Uh. So, so, did, you notice um, a, did you notice a difference right, right away, like within a week type thing, or? Because it's a four-week four program, right? And did you say five days you're in the clinic or five days a week you're in the clinic? Five days a week okay, for okay, four yeah. weeks yeah. is one yeah. round yeah. you're in the clinic. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. And you started so, yeah. seeing, seeing a difference pretty quick? Yeah, pretty quick. For the first couple of weeks, I just started to feel a bit more alert. And then as I got better and better as I went through the, the, the treatments, by about week two of the second round, so six weeks into the two-round treatment, I started to feel strength in my body. I started to feel happiness. I started to, as I'm laying there and getting treatments, I'm starting to think about the future, which I hadn't done for ages. Right, right. So and mentally, I'm starting to have my head in a different space. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, guaranteed, I feel uh, way better. Even now, after being out of the clinic for, and what are we now, September, a month and a half, two months, I'm feeling still better than I did before I went. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the challenge I have is that I've seen people go through chemo and radiation and I met people in the clinic who'd gone through chemo and radiation and they said never again would they do those. They said if they, if you know, it's too hard on the body. This is the, Dr. Batar's way is a much gentler method on the body. It's still invasive, but it's gentler. It's easier to get through. So how do you get the clear from that? Is that like like right now you're you're cancer free? Um, so 
So that's terminology from allopathic medicine because <laughs> they want to give you clear, concise answers. But if you've been on a healing journey, especially a cancer journey, you know nothing's ever clear cut. So a doctor will cut cancer out of your body and say you're, you're clear and then five years afterwards say you're, you're disease-free. Um, Dr. Batar's approach is more about letting the natural healing mechanisms of the body get into operation. So you know, I'm speaking from my interpretation of what's going on, not his. He's way more eloquent and, and certainly a lot more qualified than I am to talk about the stuff. But my understanding of it as a layman was that when your body is in normal parameters, so your lymphocyte cells are working properly, your you know all your blood levels are good, when your body's at that point and your natural killer cells are working good, your body can sort it out and deal with it as it needs to. If your body's compromised, toxic-wise, toxic then you can't, your body can't function properly. So where I'm at, as I walk out of there, my bloods are all going good, my natural killer cells are increasing, my lymphocytes are increasing to get me back into a normal range. Then once my body gets there, it'll start to deal with it and then the the, the, the tumour and stuff disappears because your body can deal with it. Yeah. Completely different approach. So at the moment, my body is still healing from physically from what it's been through. And so... Um, they don't ever give you the clear, you're clear, um, so where you go, because um, that's not, not the way they look at healing, I guess. It's almost more like the cancer's always present. It's always sort of around. It's always sort of been around, but it's just, you know, in the last hundred years or so, or as these toxins, uh, we've, we've been inviting more and more of these toxins into our bodies, it's sort of... Um, affecting our natural ability to fight it off is that kind of a good way yeah. of summing it up i think that's a brilliant way of summing it up the tox so one of the key things i did do when i got over there was i had to have a heavy metals test in my body so i'm really high for mercury lead um aluminium now aluminium if it gets into your blood into your brain and stuff it can mess up your thoughts and uh, mercury is one of the most toxic things for the human body. It just stops it functioning properly. Um, and now you can pick that up from your environment. Um, there are other places you can pick that up from if you ever look through a vaccine ingredients list. Um, mercury can come through amalgam fillings, and I've seen some stuff where amalgam fillings can still put a vapour off after years and years and years of being in your mouth. Yeah. And so... That's toxic. Um, another aspect of toxics in your environment, toxicology, is um, your emotions. And this is where the work that I, I did a lot of work with reading Bruce Lipton's books and Dr. Joe Dispenza's books because my thought process before I went in was, and my emotional state was not healthy. I was very much a victim of my world. That's probably the biggest transformation I've had to go through and this whole journey is my emotional perspective, uh, a perception of the world. So the biggest thing I can say there is I used to be a people pleaser. I would run around and try and make sure everybody else's life was good, even at my own expense. And then I'd go home and, and be fatigued and worn out because I've given everything I've got and, and the person wasn't happy. So when that person wasn't happy, I'd take that as that's my fault. So I had no self-worth uh, and, and no self esteem really and so as I started to realize that and I did a number of things I, I read Bruce Lipton's book I read Joe Dispenza's books that is stuff I went to the landmark um, 
um, Forum, right? workshops yeah. around the world. They, that's a worldwide workshops that you go and do. And I started to confront how I perceived the world. Wow. And my perception of the world was negative. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't believe that I deserved love and I didn't be- believe that I deserved to be healthy. Wow. Wow. Those are fundamental underlying beliefs that I had that didn't matter what treatment I would do, I was never going to get healthy because I didn't believe I was worth being healthy. Wow. Some people would even argue that's the kind of thing that could give you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. So, good point, actually, why I mentioned my sister's death. When I was talking to my GP when they first diagnosed me, he said what happened about five years ago that was traumatic. Wow, your GP even said that. Holy. Yeah. I said, my sister died in a car accident. And there's, he goes, that could be it. Sorry. It's this weird sort of whole underlying thing going on there that everyone sort of knows about but doesn't want to talk about. It's fucked up. You know, we just kind of ignore it. We have this whole placebo effect that we have to engineer out a couple times, but we don't ever think that there's a nocebo effect. And we just crank bad <laughs> news all fucking day. Yeah. And and that's the that's the issue I see with the current global situation, is that it's all fear based. The reporting in the mainstream media is fear based. It's not saying this is a total number of deaths, this is a total number of cases. We've got a ninety nine point whatever it is percent recovery rate. Yeah, there's nothing around that, and it's fear. Fear is a toxin, an emotional toxin in your body, which, like you said, I believe can cause cancer. How, do you think your head injuries played a little bit of a role in that too? Because I know my dad, at the time he had his stomach problems, he also had a brain tumor and he had an operation in his brain as well. And he was never quite, uh, like that affected his healing process, I think. I, I definitely believe that. I When I was telling you about sitting on a park bench and asking whether I need to do surgery or not, I remember a few months before when my sister had died, sorry, this is back in 2014, um, just after my sister had died and I was back in New Zealand and I had no job, no money, I'm relying on my family to support me and physically I'm just not performing. I remember sitting overlooking the ocean going, talking to the universe, this is too hard. I can't continue like this. I can't keep going like this. I need something else. So... That is me asking the universe to figure out another way. And so another way cancer could be perceived as when you have cancer, it means you don't want to live. Because what is it to live for? My, my life was tough. Uh, physically, my head wasn't working like it should. I know I know what I was before the head injuries. My sister's just died in a car accident. I don't know how to get my life back in order. I'm just going, this sucks completely. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Especially when... I went through the path of trying to be successful. I went off to university, got a business degree. I went and worked in the big firms. I was going up the ranks. I was doing everything I was supposed to be to be successful, but I wasn't happy. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stop there either. Like, I don't know if you've seen that I am documentary by that fellow that wrote like Ace Venture and stuff, but I mean, he's the same thing happened to him with the post concussion syndrome. And I mean, that guy's got all the money in the world and, now he lives in a double wide trailer and is like, fuck it. You know, that stuff was all trouble. I relate strongly to that move, to that documentary. Uh, I am. Uh, I, I sat there watching that and go, that's exactly what I'm going through. I love that guy for giving up all his money and just going and living in two trailer homes put together because we don't need half the stuff we think we do. And we live in the society which is so driven on materialism. If I have material things, I'm going to be happy. 
it doesn't bring you happiness. Look at these people that go out, these celebrities and musicians and stuff that go out and die of overdoses on drugs and stuff or, or commit suicide. They've got everything that people will perceive they want, and yet they still kill themselves. Why? And then the back not, end is everyone giving themselves cancer because they don't have that and feel like they should. Mate, you're onto it. It's our <laughs> emotional perspective on the world is what's driving a lot of our ailments, especially chronic disease. Yeah. So is that place, uh, you mentioned you were there for your type of healing. Is there is that also a resort where people can go for tune-ups and like even if they're not um, terminally ill or is that strictly for like sort of – Life and it's, death situations. Oh, he has his life and death patients there. Um, he has autoimmune. Uh, he has tox, detox, so you can go in and get. There was, excuse me. Um, so I was there for cycles. So you go for four, four rounds, which is four weeks. Yeah. And there was other other autoimmune people there as well. Right. And then there was day people that would come in and they yeah. would get IVs, vitamin C, and they right. get the detox and heavy metal chelation. So. Um, but it's a pretty complicated process to get into the clinic uh, for various reasons. But there are people coming in on a daily basis to get work done. Yeah, that's um, kind of what I pictured, yeah. yeah. He, I, I, you know, I'm not speaking for the clinic, but I know that the number of phone calls I were taking every day during this pandemic um, went up through the roof exponentially. So he's a, he's a busy, busy clinic. Did it, did it, was there a point when it clicked to you that this guy's also – you know, being spread around the internet, uh, fighting back against this COVID thing at some point, like <laughs> within the first week, we're sitting there watching videos and YouTube videos on his, on his Facebook page. And oh my goodness. Um, uh, but the, the funny thing is, as I sat there, um, a lot of the stuff he was saying resonated because yeah. I've kind of known that yeah, as yeah. being, being a chartered accountant, uh, I should know a little bit about finances and and companies and how they perform and work, and I should know a bit about economies. And so, as I have observed the economies around us, and even in our own elections in New Zealand, you see nothing changes uh, when the government changes. It's all the same stuff. And you'll have governments get into power by promising to do certain things, and the electorate will go out there and vote for them and say, yes, that's our government. But when they get in, nothing changes. And you go, well, 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 then there's something underlying behind the governments that's preventing them from changing based on the desires of the people. So then who does control the governments? Yeah. And that's when you start to get into the UN and WHO and funding of those who funds those organisations to to determine how we live our world and uh, live our lives on this planet. And that's... Yeah, yeah, and the same people that fund those organizations fund the media, which is the PR arm of those organizations and the PR arm of Big Pharma, you know, so they pay for the media, the messaging, and uh, the governments and all the, oh, it's just, it's one. I wish someone would pay for our messaging. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Use the money. So what about an aftercare program? Did he, did he put you through, like, do you have a protocol to follow afterwards once you get out, once you got out of your two week quarantine there? I mean, yeah. Yeah, So you maintain a lot of the disciplines that you were doing over there. I mean, obviously it's hard to do hyperbarics and stuff like that um, once you're out of the clinic, but you're on supplements, you're on um, your coffee enemas and you're on um, transdermal chelation. So, uh, there's still protocols you've got to follow, and obviously you've got to keep working at living the healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and so then every 
So every four or five months, you meant to check in, so you do some more blood tests and go get back and do a challenge, which is to see where you're at to determine what the next step is. So um, that's been difficult for me since returning home because just doing the blood tests in New Zealand is a different system, different terminology, um, uh, availability, and plus uh, my movements have been pretty chaotic. Being able to get quick information back to the clinic in the States has been challenging, but that's that's the next step is to have that conversation with them and say, this is where I'm at. What are you guys recommending for the next step? So they do keep an eye on you and they do look after you afterwards. I would, um, the people in the clinic were f- fantastic, absolutely amazing. I felt like I was an environment fully focused on healing, more than a hospital. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Coming, coming out of that environment, returning to the real world where people are worried about viruses and lockdowns and that sort of stuff has been a challenge because I was so focused on healing over there. You're in an incubator, you're in isolation to to heal and then you come out and you got the real world pressures on you again. It's a challenge to readjust. Yeah, you should have just went yeah. back. Yeah, let's do that. She's got a job there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty happy to be able to walk around beaches every day in the northland of New Zealand. Beaches New are pretty, pretty nice good. Place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've yeah. often thought that if I was going to, if I had to bug out someplace, New Zealand's kind of been on the lease. I mean, the list, they did get a little police stadium. I've probably said some things on the lines that might have me as being a persona non grata down in Australia and New Zealand. But I mean, I'm sure we could work it out. <laughs> uh, with this whole situation, this global situation, my my hope is. So, so the reason why I I'm passionate about the global situation, probably like anybody, is that I know my own healing journey. One, I had to learn to take responsibility for myself. Stop giving my power away to other people to determine how I live my life and what's best for me. Because there's seven billion people on this planet, and I tell you. What's right for me is not right for you. I can't sit there and dictate to you this is what you must need because my body's different, my experience is different, my chemical makeup's different. So when I see (laughs) what I had to go through for my healing journey to get my strength in who I am and to do what was right for me, when I see that taken away from us, that that frustrates me a lot. Now, governments uh, are telling us this is what you must do to heal and you're missing the foundations of what healing is. Yeah. Yeah. They sure haven't talked a lot about vitamins and fresh air and good or better diet. I mean, they haven't really been talking a lot about that at all as far as building up your immune system. So if exactly. you could pick like one thing that, that is the most important in sort of preventing or maintaining your path, what do you think that is a physical thing or more an emotional aspect? Look, Initially, eat better food. Stop eating processed food. Eat eat food that are, are proper produce. And when I say raw, I mean not labelled. So you buy your vegetables and your meat. Eat that stuff. And then deal with more of that later on as you get more knowledge. But the most important thing, I think, is your emotional aspects. You've got to figure out who controls your life. Is it you or somebody else? And how are you trying to live your life? Are you trying to please others or are you trying to please yourself? And, you know, I, after doing the emotional work on myself, I look around, and this is not to judge other people, I see the abuse and the hurt in people everywhere because we're living a result of all of the trauma that's gone from our family tree, from our society, from the information that's fed to us. There's trauma all around us. And as you said earlier, uh, as our, if, if we're always in a state of fear, then that's what we're going to get and our bodies are going to suffer. 
Yeah. And our whole culture is kind of steered against us right now. I mean, I don't know. It might not be by design. It doesn't have to be, but you know, you got movies and TV shows and magazines that are either making you jealous or thinking you're not good enough or, you know, it's just, it's a mess. Exactly. So, so that's the way I used to live. You know, I was a chartered accountant. I have to wear the suits. I have to have, I have to be as fit and I have to be strong and healthy and that sort of stuff. But I was doing it to try and be somebody, not be me. Yeah, I've got, I've got to be. You've got to be you. You can't be anybody else. But we're so worried about how people are going to perceive us that we prevent our own selves from enjoying and expressing our own creativity and uniqueness. And and that's what I, that's why I struggle with with the way that these governments are putting these things in place. They're treating everybody the same. Yeah, yeah. one rule applies to all. Yeah, it, it's that's not how you flourish as a human being. I feel like that's where a lot of the addiction problems come from too. You know, it's kind of a, you know, if we could fucking pin that down, the ramifications might go further than we think. Yeah. Yeah. To me, addictions are a result of us not living the life that we want. Mental depression, all, all these things are a result of us not being true to ourselves. Yeah. Did they address that at all in the clinic? Like, did they, did you do any meditations or were you outdoors doing stuff that, might help your authentic uh, self come out? Yeah, they, they had a machine called the Evox, which looks at your emotional perception or your perception reframing is the term they use around that. And that looks at the stresses in your, vo- in your vocals and your, your biological readings. Um, and when you talk about certain people in your life, you, um, your body will respond in stresses and then they'll see which ones are your highest stresses and you work through those in that order to go from the highest stress down to the lowest stress wow. one. To get to a point where you are okay with it, and I tell you what, um, who's your highest stressor? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you who's to blame: me, <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody else. Um, because um, my highest stresses, talking about the highest stresses, went back to my great grandparents. Wow! Because the things that happen in their life affect the way they treat the people around them, which then affects the way they, their people, their children, pass down the information they learnt to their kids, to their kids. And so uh, this is something one of our friends, Joanne Bean, talked about um, when I was in Canada, was about um, the seven generations. When we make a decision, it affects the seven generations before and the seven generations after. And so the short-term profit motive we have in this world is very much about the next quarter. <laughs> it's not about the long-term impact of that. So when you make a decision now to act a certain way, it's going to affect seven generations after you. Well, we've got to be a bit smarter how we make decisions. Was that an Indian lady? Yeah, she's yes. the one that has a sweat, right, sweat lodge down there that we're going to one day. One day, they should keep saying. <laughs> yeah, one day. Mate, you got to go. I. She, Joanne helped me massively because she taught me the preciousness of the environment around me. So I used to go and help with the sweat lodges, the grandfather stones, preparing the the lodge and the process around that and the honour you give to the nature around you, which I will say, generically speaking, in this Western world, we've lost our honour of the the natural environment around us. We, We mistreat it. I'm an Indian, never been to a sweat lodge. We didn't do it this summer. Is it too late? Uh, I don't know if she's got it going on, but we should do it though. Yeah, you, winter's good too. I mean, winter's great. Actually, she, that'd be nice being she able to had escape it through the into winter the outside. Too. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think we I think we had an episode recently with uh Caroline Corey who had that machine in her movie Superhuman, I think. Because you right. could t- you could see the reson resonance between uh love and positive voice compared to fear and uh and negative voice or or inauthentic voice, yeah. Yeah. Um all of the situations you went through, you have to get to a point where you can make a releasing statement, which is a statement that has no stresses in it. And they all resolve them, resulted in me looking at the situation and that's nothing to do with me. Wow. And so if I'm out there trying to fix everybody else, I'm living in their worlds, not mine. So I'm not aware of what my body needs. Well, so, and, and, and the other part of the Western world problem right now is the victim victimhood i mean it's it's rampant right now there's a lot of people blaming a lot of other people for their problems i mean it's all over the all over the place right now i uh, agreed i could blame everybody else i could blame the toxins in my environment i could blame my parents i could blame a whole lot of people it's my situation but at the end of the day it was the way i lived my life that caused the problems it wasn't you know, I was living a life of being a victim. I was living a life in fear. I was eating the wrong foods. I wasn't looking after myself. So, you know, I I might not have been aware I had a choice, but I always had a choice. Yeah. And so, until I realized that, sorry. Do you have any fu- future plans at all? Like what, what's, what's uh, what do you got? I mean, obviously you started thinking about the future for, for uh, the first time in a while. So what does that look like? I want to, I want to share my story a bit more. Yeah. Um, because I want people to realize how much power they have inside of themselves. Um, that's the thing that I'm amazed at is how much strength I have inside of myself. I didn't think I had. But I want to share people. We, we're so worried about what other people perceive about ourselves. We're forgetting to live our lives. And, you know, as a guy, I'm, you know, I'm 45 now. And I found out that in my relationships to date, I was very needy. Well, that's a great place to be. But as guys, we're told not to talk about weakness or emotions and stuff, which is rubbish. Your whole body's made up on emotions. All of us have got emotions. Some are different levels to others, but we're emotions. So if I'm needy and that I need people around me to fill me up with love because I can't give it to myself, I'm always going to get into unhealthy relationships. So... So there's no blame there. That's just the way I lived. I'm not going to live that way anymore. So I want to. I want to talk to people. I want to look. We're, we're a lot of us are facing chronic illnesses in the world. The, uh, all the chronic illnesses all around the world are going up. Our system needs to be revisited, and that's what is good about this COVID situation is that our systems are going to get revisited because the stats are not going to support what has been done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh no! 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 See, this is see, must be your first rodeo. They just they'll just steamroll right past that, and it'll be like it never happened. Just like nine eleven, and I mean, we were going down the list last night: nine eleven, Oklahoma City, Gulf of Tonkin. I mean, it just goes on forever, and the, yeah. they just got to keep hammering it down for like twenty years, and then the voting population doesn't even wasn't even alive for it. Maybe I. I I hear what you're saying because I know all that stuff. But what I'm seeing in Berlin with that massive protest that happened the other day, yeah. what we're seeing uh, in different parts of the world where people are going, this is enough. And in New Zealand, there's a movement forming. We've got our own political party over here that started saying enough of this stuff, enough of Agenda 21, enough of Agenda 2030, enough of being beholden to the WHO. Let's, let's try and figure out what's best for New Zealanders. And so there's movements happening. And I... I do believe that we're in a point, even you guys doing this stuff, you wouldn't have been able to do this 20 years ago. 
the, the ability to communicate to massive audiences without the political bias, without the persuasion of commercial interests is something that's unique in this time. And that's only a result of the technology we've got. Yeah. So I, I just, I want to, sh- the reason why I counted you on that is what I learned is the more that I stay in a state of fear about this situation, the more unhealthy it is for me. I spent a period when I got home to New Zealand of getting into the COVID stuff really deeply and it caused me, my body to deteriorate. And so I instantaneously go, I can't keep looking at that stuff. I know what's going on. You guys are probably more informed than most, but I know enough to be able to have a perspective and to know what my actions are going forward. So I don't need to know every detail. But if I'm living the best that I can be, then I can only be a role model for other people around me to go, well, how can you can get through it and I can't? Yeah, that's the trick. That's the trick is how do you pay attention enough to not let it bring you down in fear? You know, it's, it's to me, it's because you're either in, uninformed and maybe in less fear or you're well-informed and in a, in a bunch of fear. Like, how do you f- find that happy medium, right? I prefer to be uninformed. Yeah. <laughs> Darren's giving this huge grin as if I'm talking about him, but... <laughs> But it's been a dynamic we've had over the last while where I've been more engrossed in the in the pop culture politics and COVID and he's been learning how to live off the land. I mean, it's it's been a good dynamic. I mean, obviously he's probably going down the right path, but one of us has to pay attention. He'll be able to time, tell right? me all about it when I'm filling his belly up. <laughs> I'm taking one for the team. <laughs> He'll have all these stories to tell me while I'm feeding him after the apocalypse. I, I tell you what, I think that's one of the most important things you can do. And you're asking about what my future is. The first thing I did when I got home to New Zealand was I signed up for a gardening course that's um, awesome. at the Kaunga Institute, which is all about nutrient-dense food based nice. on the Western A. Pipes model. I signed up for a butchery course to be able to learn how to process my own meat. And then I've signed up. And so those are all about self-sufficiency, yeah. is that how do you make sure that you've got safe food supply? Because that's the key to it. If you've got safe food supply and you're healthy and happy, life will be fine. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly what Darren's been doing. Yeah. And, minus, and, minus the gardening. I mean, you did some canning and stuff. What was the gardening? Well, I can ba- do some gardening if I need to. I mean, my weed plant's taller than I am. What, what's the gardening? <laughs> uh, what was it based on, you were saying? The nutrient-dense foods based on what? The Western A. Price model. Weston A. Price is a dentist that went around the 1920s around the world. He started to investigate why his patients were having poor um, dental problems, like poor jaw structure and teeth. And so he went around the world looking at indigenous races. And what he found was that the indigenous races that ate a good level of um, fats in their diet, animal-based fats, which is completely against the mainstream view of what you should be eating now, um, they they had better bone structure and better health. So he did that through a whole lot of indigenous races, uh, even the Māori here in New Zealand and the and the, uh, Inuits, and their diets are completely contrary to what we believe in, the, in the, the developed world, and yet these people were healthier. So he did that in the 1920s, and that research has been around for a long time. Right. And so even with the stuff that I know, I've got to do that. That's the way to eat healthy. And it's not about mistreated animals or anything. It's about using what nature has given to us in a way. The North Americans, the native and indigenous people of North America ate buffalo. It was the, the primary food source, life force for, the, for that race. How come it's no longer relevant? Yeah, I had deer for dinner. Perfect. 
Well, I think, uh, yeah, that was a great show. Is there any, do you have any, I guess you don't have a website or nothing? What's the book going to be called? Oh, I haven't got a title for the book yet. It's coming. Um, I'm halfway through it. I've just got to sit down with the, the joy and rewrite it and write out these last three months. Um, I do have a, a channel on YouTube, which is called the Open Healing Channel, just where I did my video posts while I was going through treatment. Um, I took my website down because I was getting hacked. <clears throat> Wow. <laughs> they were try- trying to break into my website because of whatever reason. I've, I've always had, uh, when I was in Canada, I used to get um, a lot of uh, hack attempts to my website. But when I got here in New Zealand and um, got to meet a few people, my website's got a lot more attention. So I took that down because it's, it just doesn't need to be up because I'm not using it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll reassess him with that. will be in the future. But right on, buddy. Ah. Well, yeah, if you great. ever come back to Canada, you'll have to pop in. Yeah. Thank you. I definitely want to come back to Canada. Uh, it's my second home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we could get you back on, and we'll have a we'll have a little update chat when you're kind of doing some more like gardening and stuff. And uh, well, New Zealand's on the list. If they ever let us travel, start traveling again, like I really want to get to New Zealand. We got Nathan Bryson to go visit. We Jared Drake. Yeah. Actually, he might be in Germany now. Anyway, there's a ton of reasons to go to New Zealand. I heard the hunting's great. You, I could shoot a kangaroo or something. <laughs> You guys have kangaroos? No, we have wallabies, little ones. But you can, <laughs> there's, the hunting's meant to be pretty good in this country. That's what I've, I've heard. Actually, that it's like everything's open season all the time because there's so many, so much wildlife. You don't need tags or nothing. Yeah, no tags. You need permits, but no tags. Just I got a deer permit. I'm good to go. I mean, that's what it is for like for an Indian in Canada. But I mean, my buddies, they get like two months a year. Yeah. Oh, we're going that way. It's getting more and more strict rules around uh, hunting. I know that from on the media. Um, and obviously, obviously, the gun controls got tighter over the last right. last few years. So yeah. we're like we're like you guys. I know. I notice a lot of the rules that get passed in your country about gun control is very similar to what we've got passed here. Yeah. So yeah, by all means. Hands. <laughs> you guys come down. We'll, if you come to New Zealand, we'll definitely catch up, and you can, I can show, show you around my home country. Right on, buddy. Right, right on. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. We wish you uh, all the best in your journey, and uh, I hope it keeps going the way it's going for you. Thanks very much to both of you. It's uh, certainly been an honor to be able to, to share my story with you guys. Thank yeah, you. That was a great, uh, great share, buddy. Really appreciate it. No problem. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Bye. And that was our chat with Graham's buddy. Wow, Derek that's crazy, man. That was a good. He was very articulate about his whole journey. Oh yeah, he fantastic. Nailed it. Great. Hey, he nailed it. It's like a, one of our. I never know what to expect on the, with on, you, with me and my buddies, <laughs> with you and your buddies. <laughs> I mean, they all turned out pretty good. I mean, me and Jabe ended up becoming good friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I usually like most of my buddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean. Sometimes the podcasts with them are a little wild. Yeah. Like yeah, with Jay, right. we talked about someone in all the Sasquatches. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. That was, yeah. He's going to be mad at me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took me out. We didn't hear nothing. I mean, we had ate a bit of mushrooms, but I didn't hear a Sasquatch. Well, it's, it's never too late from that. Now that I got my gun, I don't think they'll ever come again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe they know you're a hunter now. That's it. I'm marked. Yeah. Uh, You've got I, that energy of a hunter. I'm a, you know what? I, my phone died, and I was trying to think of the last time my phone actually died. Oh, wow. It might have been months. Yeah. But like during this episode? or? Yeah, because I was talking to the abs guys about maybe bumping the show up. 
no? half an hour, yeah, yeah. an hour, so okay. we don't have to be at it quite oh, so late tonight. Oh, that's why you're on your phone during that. Okay, I was yeah. wondering. That's okay, then, if it was podcast related. Hey, I'm running everything <laughs> over here, all right, buddy? Hey, well, you just, you just ask do the, the show notes. <laughs> you just do the show notes. Big thanks to Derek for coming on the show. Hey, don't forget about the hours and hours of research I put in for every show, except for this one. Yeah, but I still have good questions. Yeah, yeah. no, I know, but this is you know, thing. somebody's got to. So, what did you research on. for this show? I said, except for this show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Big thanks to Derek for coming on the show. Uh, big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks to the uh, thousand or so of you that support the show. And, and to be fair to Derek, I I did it. I didn't do a lot of research on purpose because I knew that you know we're buddies and I have that. You know, already they're going for me. I always don't do research. On I know, purposes. no, I know. I'm just telling you that okay. it's, you know, it's not like it's know. not a laziness. I didn't, it's I didn't a strategy. Want to ask him too many questions. I would I love, save it. Basically, I want to save. I would it for love the show. to do research, but I think it'll hurt oh the dynamic. My God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let's uh, let's mention uh, we're almost at a thousand uh, subs. On, that's that's uh, it. On, uh, oh, and Discord and and the and, and um, the PayPal. newsletter. Wow, what are the chances all those things would, hit, would come up at a thousand at the exact oh same time? Four stretch. things. It's the stretch. <laughs> we got we to market this. We got to promo this. So we're almost at a thousand supporters. Yeah. That includes some one-time donators, but that's for yeah. a wall that we'll eventually do with right, the 1,111 right. people on the wall. We're, I think, within 50 of that. The last time I checked, we were within 60 of a thousand ratings and reviews on iTunes. We're at about 50 from the newsletter. We're at, we're like, yeah, less than 50 from the newsletter. And I think we're like 75 away from a thousand in the chats. So, I mean, September could be the month. If you guys get off your asses and support the show and sign up for the chats and sign up for the newsletter, we could hit our a thousand on all those things in September. Wouldn't that be fantastic? That would be good. Yeah. That would be a good, good. Good goal to go for. So if you haven't supported, please do. If you're not signed up for the newsletter, please do so and sign up for chats. America.ca slash chats. We just got boosted in there. So we might even be able to start streaming the show directly into the chats for when YouTube kicks us off. That's cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, really. The, the, that's the only reason we're on YouTube. Just for the video, yeah. And the SEO, I guess. I could totally transition the live show just to the chats. And then YouTube would just get the audio only still. So the only place you could track us down on video would be in the chats. Interesting. Let's talk about that. Yes. It seems like uh, a good way to maybe back out of doing video. Anyway, do all that stuff because uh, without you, nobody will do it. We can't do it, and uh, we don't have any sponsors or uh, corporate nothing. We love you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.